everyone. Welcome to another episode of You're Wrong with me, David Harsani, Senior Editor at The Federalist, and Molly Hemingway, Editor-in-Chief of The Federalist. How are you, Molly? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Thank you. Um, I thought today we could start off by uh, talking about a poll that recently came out. It was a New York Times Siena College poll that showed for the first time uh, in history, or at least in, you know, since they've been polling this question and and looking at these numbers, uh, there are more college graduate, was it white, white college graduates who support the Democratic Party than minorities, like in larger numbers, if I have that right. Is that... (laughs) Did you have Did you have thoughts on that, or I think that that's actually quite quite. I actually think that's hugely important. You know, hugely important development uh, when you when you tack on and think about uh, the, the Hispanic voters moving away from the Democratic Party. If that's true, I think it is. You know, certainly since Donald Trump became president. Um, so I think that we see that not only in the polling numbers and in how cl- how races and his in in districts with many Hispanics are closer, but we see it in literally the kinds of things that the Democratic Party feels it needs to talk about and the kinds of positions it takes on cultural issues and, you know, woke issues and and things I think that um, that urban educated whites embrace, but normal people in the middle of America, no matter what kind of person they are, do not. How do you feel about that? Oh, I mean, it's just it's all so interesting. You're you're seeing an actual realignment of political parties in real time. You can see it and witness it and experience it. And even left-leaning polls like this reflect that reality to some extent, although they probably understate it wildly. I just got back from California, and that was definitely a place where you could feel this. Um, I mean, California is a far-left Democrat state, but... I was traveling all around in portions of the state that are not LA and San Francisco. And there was this one scene in particular that struck me. We were south of Pismo and on a like an, uh, beach. And there was a flag that you see sometimes where a lot of Mexican-Americans combine the Mexican and American flags. And it's not you know, it's like totally against the flag code, but they'll combine those flags to show their their identity um and it was flying with a trump flag you know and you're just like this is not the california i grew up in where you would see that where the democrat party was really positioned as the party to help working class mexicans uh mexican americans and that's just not the case anymore nobody thinks the democrat party is helping the middle class they do think and it is reflected in who supports them that it is a party for wealthy people and it is a party for very poor people. But for that middle class, the party is just almost like repelling them. And it's a really weird moment, I think, because like when we were growing up, Republican was kind of uncool. They were the people who were trying to tell you what to do. Um, You know, if you were fighting the man, you were fighting the Republican Party. And now the party that's telling you what to think and how to say things and what to do and how to be and is very controlling, that's more associated with the Democrat Party. And if you're just like a normal person who accepts like biological reality or thinks parents should have a role in their children's lives, then you are no longer able to find yourself at home in the Democrat Party. Now, I actually want to revisit the 
the biological reality point. But first, I wanted to ask you, do you think that Donald Trump in 2016 was a manifestation of, of this movement? Or do you think that his politics sort of helped or it along? Or is it both? Or what, what do you think? So do you remember after 2012, the Republican Party conducted what they called an autopsy? They wanted to figure out why it was they lost when they were running against a deeply unpopular president, Barack Obama, whose policies were hurting the country. Well, the answer was that they ran Mitt Romney, who was repulsive to many voters who would have been easily gotten and whose policies were not distinguishable enough from Democrats in the cases that mattered, like Obamacare. Not then, distinguishable enough in as he literally supported the policy that became <laughs> Obamacare. Yeah, then yes, I, I understand. The that. number one political issue at that yeah. time, or they were these sort of free, mar- free market orthodoxies, which are not actually free market usually, but you know these sort of like establishment positions on what the economic policy should be that were not appealing to the types of voters that you needed to get in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, you know, states that you have to win if you want to win the presidency. But the Republicans instead came up with this idea that the problem was that their views on the border were too harsh, um, stuff like that. And that they, if they wanted to make the party a broader, more working class party, they would start doing things like pushing amnesty, leaning into identity politics, uh, yeah, decreasing concern about the border. It was exactly the wrong diagnosis. And I don't know exactly why Trump was on the other side of that, if he was just smart enough to be smarter than most of D.C., or if these were deeply held convictions. But the fact was that the party, the Republican Party and the people were getting alienated from each other. And Trump was not that way. Don't you Incredibly think- enough, you- I, don't, I don't think Donald Trump has... I don't think he's an ideological person, really. I mean, I think that uh, he's switched, obviously, his position on a number of issues. But one of the issues he has in is actually sort of the populist economic, you know, from my view, anti-trade, you know, anti-international trade, that sort of stuff. I mean, he's always believed that. I was watching a Donahue interview with him from like 1988, and he sounded almost the same on those issues. So I don't even know why I brought that up. But I, maybe, yeah, maybe but I remember him also saying that he thought, I don't know, he, he says so much and so much that isn't right. Um, that I remember him after Romney lost, him saying that Romney lost because he wasn't like he was too harsh on immigration or something. Am I making that up? I don't know. Might so, be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, th- I think I actually think that Trump did move the needle there in Michigan, Pennsylvania, places like that. Um, now, that's not to say that he doesn't turn off certain people, maybe who are middle class or upper middle class, you know, near cities, not really that ideological either with his behavior sometimes. But I think like the, the way he views policy and the, those populist ideas about trade are probably, which I completely disagree with. I couldn't be elected in my own home for anything. But he, you know, is not the kind of is the kind of thing that that, you know, people like in those places. Right. So um that's why I think Trumpism, which really reminds me a little bit of, you know, Perot and Buchanan, maybe in the old days, you know, I think it has has some lasting. I do think there's also power. this issue that both the Republican and Democrat parties have historically done a very bad job of understanding the concerns of Hispanic Americans, which are different state by state um, and different based on 
you know, the particular country that of of original origin of the Hispanic group. You know, Cubans are not the same as Mexicans on these issues. Uh, we're seeing it right now with how horribly Democrats are. They're not even pandering. Like pandering would be a, a step up from whatever we're witnessing with Jill Biden's uh, awkward speech comparing. Hispanic voters to flowers and tacos and excuse me, do doctor, doctor, Jill, do I'm sorry, Dr. Jill Biden. Um, whereas what Republicans have accidentally found themselves in, thanks to Donald Trump, and it has to be acknowledged that this is his his reworking of the party. And it's a winning recipe. It's something that is like a gift from the gods, but it's more like a gift from, um, you know, what what happened over the last six years with Trump is. Hispanic voters care deeply about economic success and control over the border. And these are not things that would be surprising to people who actually talk to you know, voters in Texas or Florida. And those are things that Republicans should have an advantage on, particularly now after seeing what Democrat uniparty control of Washington has brought the country to. I mean, I've, I've always thought it was a myth that immigrants who are here legally, no matter where they come from, believe in anarchy at a, at a border, right? I, I mean, my, you know, I, my own parents were immigrants and they were very, you know, and they, they did it the right way. So they, they, they looked at people, didn't, they were pretty angry about people not, not doing it the right way, right? Skipping, skipping the line, things like that. So that's always, I think, been a, a mistake on the left to, to believe that, that, that Hispanics are, are, are want anarchy once they've done it the right way. And then secondly, as you mentioned, I think it's a lot to do with economics, inflation, obviously, um, and, and just non-ideological things like that, but also cultural ideas. So I wanted to just mention, I mean, how much do you think sort of the wokeness stuff, or I don't even know what to call it has to do with this. Like if, if, a, if a, a middle-class Hispanic family is watching TV yesterday and sees that Berkeley professor who Democrats bought to the congressional hearing on abortion, which was meant to, to make Republicans look like radical loonies, you know what I mean? Saying that, that men can have be pregnant. Do you, do you think that affects it? Are they just like this party's out of touch or, or, you know, I, I don't think it has, I think it's part of it. It's sort of part of the, it's in the so, ether. It's part of like what's going on. I don't know that that one specific event would change your vote. But I think overall, they just feel are looking at a party that's out of touch with reality sometimes. Okay. So when I was in California, I grew up in the Central Valley, which is, you know, incredibly rural. It's, it's where a lot of the agriculture for the country is grown there. You know, my particular area was known for oranges, pistachios, but I was talking to some people who were working on a farm of someone that I know, and they were talking about how they just didn't understand why Democrats were disrupting Roman Catholic church services in LA. They just didn't understand it. They were like, why are Democrats doing that? I mean, they, they were so turned off by that issue uh, that I can't even imagine what, I don't think they actually probably would see what this woman testified at, unless it runs on a Republican ad, you know, on their television, because obviously corporate media are not going to show it. They're going to hide what was said there. Um, newspapers are going to hide what was said there. So they might not know about the trans stuff as well as they should, or tie it with the Democrat party as well as they should, but it's obviously a huge uh, political win for Republicans if they can get that to people like the people I talk to. 
also abortion. I mean, obviously, I realize that, you know, people aren't as religious as they used to be. Clearly, there, there's been falling off there, but, but Hispanics are typically Catholics, right? And um, uh, abortion is probably, even if they are, if it's not one of the top issues that they're worried about, when you have a party that's, that, that believes in abortion until, you know, into the ninth month funded by government, that's got to that's gotta matter to a considerable percentage of Hispanics in general. Oh. Yeah, so I would say they're religious more than they're Roman Catholic because there are also quite a few evangelicals. Yeah. Um, Hispanics tend to be just more religious than uh, other groups. But yeah, that's the other issue is that the Democrat position, which is couched as like the reasonable one by corporate media, is actually abortion on demand through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason. Like you don't want to have a girl and you're nine months pregnant, you can you can have an abortion. That is a very difficult ground to hold because what the Dobbs ruling did simply said it can go back to the states and you can set abortion policy however you want. So if you oppose anything other than abortion on demand, that puts you outside of the, yeah, if you want any, sorry, if you want anything other than abortion on demand, that puts you outside of the Democrat tent, according to their new orthodoxy. That is repulsive to 90% of the country, according to recent polls, which again, probably understate the situation. And what happens with that is that the hystericism surrounding the Dobbs decision and decades of talk the way that the media and others have talked about Roe is that when people realize it doesn't really change anything that much right now, I, I just feel like they're, you know, they're, it's, it's just another, it's just another sort of doomsday, you know, scaremongering prediction that doesn't, doesn't really change anything. And it gets, it gets tiring. So, um, so, but if his just to, to wrap that part up, if, if Hispanics actually move in those numbers away from the Democratic Party, I mean, they are they're in big trouble long term, right? I mean, you, you know, you can just see that the, the, the districts that would all of a sudden be, be, be in play would probably, okay, but, yeah. David, this kind of is what I always hear hear people say, like, oh, the you know, the Republican Party will be dead for a generation, <laughs> or Democrats That's will be in trouble yeah. for a long time. And I feel like things can actually move pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't see an indication that they would move quickly because Democrats don't seem to. They seem to be very beholden to this far left base that is making them say things like men can be women and women can be men. Um, they they show no signs of breaking, even though they have every political incentive in the world to break from this. They're just unable. It's like not built into their way of thinking right now. They don't know how to escape, but they technically could. If you're like me, you might be dreading looking at your 401k or IRA account balance lately. You're not alone. And we're hearing all of the experts say there's just no place to hide. But that's simply not true. The truth is you can build a financial bunker that grows and protects your money even during the scariest economic times. The Bank on Yourself Retirement Plan Alternative lets you escape the financial carnage and has never had a losing year in over 160 years. Whether you've been investing for years or you're just starting out, now is the time to bypass Wall Street and bank on yourself. Bank on yourself lets you reach your financial goals and dreams without taking any unnecessary risks. You get guaranteed predictable growth and retirement income with no luck, skill, or guesswork needed. The strategy also lets you take a tax-free retirement income, which protects you from the coming tax tsunami. Unlike a government-controlled 401k, 
IRA, or similar plan, you control the money in your plan, not the government. You can use the money for any purpose with no questions asked without interrupting the growth of your savings. This is the strategy famous businesses like McDonald's have used when no banker would lend them a dime. And almost anyone can do it. Plus, there's no volatility. Your plan doesn't go backward when the markets tumble. Both your principal and growth are protected. You can get a free report with all the details of how adding bank on yourself to your financial plan can help you take back control of your money. Just go to bankonyourself.com slash federalist. That's bankonyourself.com slash federalist. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void or prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I mean, that... I mean, that's sort of where I was going. I was going to say, though, that that it doesn't seem Joe Biden is is supposed to be the, the moderate. Right. I mean, the reason he he was picked was so that he could uh, he's the only guy who could be beat uh, Donald Trump. But the, but the point is that he he is essentially embraced and his administration has embraced all this stuff. Right. So what candidate would not where are they going? I mean, if and now if they're beholden to uh, upper middle class, um, I mean, well off, well healed white urban voters, it's going to be very hard to to come back from that. I don't know what candidate would be able to even even do that for them. Probably need a Republican like Liz Cheney to run for them, right? <laughs> I think that, that actually is probably a thing that will really happen. I've thought about how, you know, the neoconservatives used to be Democrat or even socialists, then they moved to the right. And there's what they have shown recently, this like latest incarnation of neoconservative. And I hate that term because the original neoconservatives actually had something to them. Like they had some intellectual heft and they had, uh, been convinced by actual argumentation to abandon their leftist policies, whereas this new version of neoconservatism is motivated apparently solely by interventionist wars. Uh, they have no other policy views they care about. But insofar as the Republican Party continues to reject that like brief in a brief period of uh, flirtation with interventionist wars that they had from the Bush era to the pre-Trump era, then maybe the neocons will find a home more on the left. Maybe Liz Cheney is a good candidate to at least make some type of run, although the only purpose she serves is to be the Democrats' handmaiden as a Republican. And the moment she's not a Republican, she will be hated as much as um, she used to be. Yeah. So I don't see her really doing well, but I do think that maybe she, Mitt Romney, these types are trying for an independent run, but they think that's their, like, they're very power hungry. They very much believe that the world wants and needs them. So maybe they're going to try and do something like that. You saw Mitt Romney kind of was orchestrating a 
independent um, Evan McMuffin run in Utah, where the Democrats decided not to run a candidate because Evan McMuffin's policies are basically the same as Democrats. He's not said he wouldn't caucus. Man, all my double negatives today are horrible. He's kind of indicated he might caucus with Democrats, even with their low polling numbers. And Mitt Romney's clearly behind all this. He said he's going to stay out of the race, which staying out of a race between a guy who says he'll caucus with Democrats and a Republican is not really staying out. And not just any Republican, a guy who's, I think, a very serious, you know, constitutionalist Constitutionalist. and and, and serious person. Yep. It was not imperfect, but I think, you know, better than most. Right. And you know, so that's crazy. I'm happy, you know, not to go off too far in this direction, but the original neoconservatives actually remind me far more of today's populace than than not. I mean, they were very they were very they were more more open to using government to make change. They cared about uh, social issues pretty deeply. I mean, I don't you know, I don't. That is not my kind of philosophy, but but it had less to do with with the kind of interventions that they're obsessed with now than 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 today. In fact, it was just basically they were anti-communist in the sense that, you know, run of the mill conservatives were anti-communist. That might be why also that first generation of neocons was much more friendly to Trump than their children were who were just like irrationally deranged with hatred over the man for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I think 9-11 changed a lot. Right. And uh you know, so I, but anyway, I don't want to go too far down that that road. I think the truth is that someone like Liz Cheney would would be hated by Democrats. I mean, as much as 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 I think Republicans don't like her for the most part for very good reasons, frankly, I think that she's essentially you know, and ninety percent of her thinking would would you know, and ninety percent of her policy positions would would be would would rattle even a moderate Democrat, right? I mean, her her she votes for a lot of things that they hate. Um, I mean, I haven't looked that deeply. It's into kind it, of so the worst of all worlds to make yourself hated by both people. Her voting record is not bad, but you know, there's a reason why she's not going to win re-election in Wyoming. And Wyoming Republicans are not stupid. They know her voting record. They know they can get that same voting record with literally anyone else who runs as a Republican, but without the added bonus of being Nancy Pelosi's handmaiden. So I get annoyed people like she actually has a good voting record. It's like, yeah, we all know that. In general, she was okay. We also know she was like spreading the lie that, um, you know, trying to the, the lie about Russia targeting American troops in Afghanistan without evidence. She was spreading that all around, you know, other things that were undermining Republican electoral prospects in 2020, which was successful. So she should get credit for that. And now she's doing, she's, she's running the Democrats campaign strategy for 2022. So Wyoming yeah. Republicans are not stupid. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, well, also I also mean, want to say, I so I b- before I moved to the Central Valley of California as an infant, I lived in Wyoming. So I love, I just kind of have an interest in Wyoming. And everyone there says that she is on television. She's running ads now, Liz Cheney. But she's so politically toxic to the state she represents. And there's only one member, you know, she's the only member from Wyoming. She can't picture herself in her ads because to remind people of her face would work against her political interests. So she's just showing other people talking about how they're going to vote for her. I love that. So she just cracks me up. I, 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 I've never you really. You can't show your face. You're not doing well in it's your It's not going well, right. Well, Let's now talk about someone else who is not doing well. Another amazing segue by me. 
I think I'm getting better at this radio thing, you know, um, Love it. is, uh, is our, our Biden's poll numbers. Right. So I think they fall into, th- what was it? Uh, I think it was 33% in the, in, uh, the most recent, uh, Siena college poll, New York times. Um, and I argue in a piece this week, I don't know if you agree that they're actually worse than they seem. Well, what's now, your the, argument? My argument is this people. Well, so let me just take it. I don't, favorability numbers on favorability numbers don't matter that much to me. It's really a binary choice if you're voting in a presidential election, right? So it's, it depends who you're running against. So the same poll shows that Biden would beat Donald Trump 44 to 41. And it shows Scarborough and these kinds of people, they're like super pumped about this three point lead they have against Donald Trump. Uh, the, this is the incumbent president, by the way, and Donald Trump every day is called a seditious, you know, a traitor on television, not campaigning. And Biden has the bully pulpit and he's up three points. I don't think that that's great. But more than that, when you look at national numbers, they fooled themselves last time or 2016 as well. National numbers mean nothing. You have to look state by state and see how many states you're winning. And Biden right now is underwater in literally every state, but two in most polls being Vermont and Hawaii, which is like one electoral college. vote. So I, I think that that's the kind of thing that where, where, where uh, Democrats simply fool themselves about their prospects. And I just want to one last quick point is that the main people pro- problem people have with Biden is not ideological. It's that he's old, which in, by which they're saying is incompetent and not prepared for this job. Well, that doesn't turn around. I'm sorry, in nature, that keeps going in one direction for all of us. And I just don't see it getting better for him, only worse. I mean, there's a certain bottom that you hit where there are enough partisans who are never going to say no, but I mean, you're, he's getting close to that, I think, bottom. I have so many thoughts. Okay. Um, first off, you have I'm to number them of, each, please. I don't even, I have 12 thoughts. Um, okay. no, I, I always review poll history to determine how much I should respect a given poll. And New York Times and Siena polling in general is incredibly favorable to Democrats and always is. And there's this aspect of the information operation polling where you start out with like crazy numbers. And then when you get closer to the election and people are going to hold you more accountable for what those numbers are, you tighten it up. And so New York Times, Siena does that. So at this time in the, or no, in June of 2020, I think they said that, you know, Biden would win by like 18 points or something or 14 points. They had had Clinton up 17 on the last poll in 2016. Right. So, and then even the ones that are closer to the election are still wildly wrong. In general, lefty media and lefty academic polls are just habitually wrong, always in one direction, and always by a pretty significant amount. It is demoralizing to people to look at these polls and go, oh, there's no chance that Hillary Clinton will lose, or there's no chance that Biden will lose. And it affects how people campaign, how they talk about things, it affects media coverage. Every night, the news is about how this is how it's going to be, you know. And so I like to look at the history, New York Times, Siena, horrible pollster, horrible, and systematically in favor of Democrats. But there was this other part of the poll that to me rendered it completely not worth paying attention to at all, which is that they gave Democrats a one-point advantage on the generic ballot. Nobody thinks Democrats have a one-point advantage on the generic ballot. Nobody thinks that's a realistic like poll number. It is 
it is a sign that the polling is not being done well and that you shouldn't take it too seriously. Well, I, it doesn't make any the, sense. Sorry. Why? I, I mean, it doesn't make any sense when you have, I don't even, I don't even, I, those generic, you know, are you pro-Democrat, pro-Republican polls are irrelevant. I mean, you don't, every district is different. So you have to look, you have to look district by district at that. It's, those polls are irrelevant. So I definitely consider my incessant skepticism both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in journalism for sure. But as I've watched all of these my pillow ads over the years, I have just been plagued by the question, are these as good as the commercials say they are? I've always wondered this. And when the fine folks over at MyPillow were kind enough to send me some of their products, I was really pleasantly surprised. These things are great. And right now they're having a BOGO extravaganza. So you can get buy one, get one free price on the MyPillow bed sheets as low as $59.98, the Elegance MyPillows as low as $49.98, and that six-piece towel sets. Those are my favorite. Those are included in the BOGO extravaganza. Also, the Roll and Go Anywhere MyPillows for $29.98 and so much more. Those six-piece towel sets are made with cotton grown here in the United States. Other towels feel good but don't absorb, or they absorb but they don't feel good. Every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. I can confirm that. It's absolutely true. Like I said, these are my favorites. They have no lotion-y feel either. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. So you got everything you need. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are machine washable and come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Those roll and go anywhere MyPillows. You can use them on your couch, your recliner, or in your car. They're versatile enough to take on vacation or really anywhere you go. They're also available in multiple colors and patterns and machine washable and dryable for all you parents. That's the most important part. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee as well. So as you can see, it's a buy one, get one extravaganza over at mypillow.com slash federalist. Bed sheets and my pillows are just the tip of the iceberg. Find the full list of BOGO offers by visiting mypillow.com slash federalist or call 800 794 8429. Stock up with buy one, get one free savings today and get Mike's book free with any purchase. MyPillow.com slash Federalist or call 800-794-8429. MyPillow.com slash Federalist. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I agree to your larger point on, on the presidential, and I agree with you on this too. But what I do try to do, even with flawed polls, is see the direction things are going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's just, there's, there's just many problems with this. I think what's happening right now is DC, the regime, is trying to pick both the Republican and Democrat nominees for next time. They're trying to control it, just like they tried to control it every previous election. The Corporate media and other establishment figures selected Joe Biden to be the figurehead to run the Democratic operation. They now apparently want him gone. Um, they're the ones responsible for putting him into power. They're the ones responsible for foisting those policies on the country 
I don't think they have the right to pick the next person or to set the narrative about what's going on. I don't believe anything they say. We all knew Joe Biden. It's not his age, although he is very old. It's his competence, which anybody being honest with themselves saw in the 2020 campaign, even as the media ran his campaign and allowed him to sit in the basement. Um, his policies are shared by 100% of the Democrat Party, or like 99.9%. .9%. Those are what is unpopular. Those are the things that people are reacting against. Putting a different figurehead in that will still be run by the regime is not going to change anything. And then the fact that they view, and I really do not have a dog in this fight because I learned in 2016 that what I want doesn't matter and that also I'm a very bad predictor of what kind of president people will be or what kind of thing voters want. So I just kind of. I, well, I, I mean, just, you, you predicted Donald Trump would be would win and I lost that bet. So um, you're not you're better than I am. What sure. I'm saying that. Yeah, I'm, I'm OK at that kind of raw analysis. What I'm saying right. is I didn't want him to be the nominee right. on the grounds that I thought he would be very liberal. Right, right, right. Well, let me ask you this quickly. So okay. do you think that, so do you think Joe Biden's going to run again? That I don't know. I think that's what this media. So, so you're, you think that the media right now, and I believe this is trying to undermine his second term. I mean, it, not undermine his second term, undermine his second run. Like they don't want him to run. I mean, now there are a lot of pieces, New York times elsewhere about how old he is. Now, you know, Democrats are, are worried. Well, mostly, I think they're trying to avoid responsibility for what they've done to the country. The media gave us Joe Biden and they know people hate him and they know they're trying to make it seem like he's the problem as if Joe Biden is somehow like a particularly bad dude. And he's not, I mean, he is, but he's not, you know what I mean? It's not him. It's the policies people hate. And they're just trying to like do this flashy object change of person as if people will then forget that they're the ones who foisted him on the country, lied about him, lied about his campaign, lied about his opponent, lied about everything in the world, provoked hysteria, race riots, COVID lockdowns, all the things they needed to make sure that they got their power back. And they just want to cling to that power. And so they're trying to do things. And I'm just saying, I, I reject them out of hand. I reject that they have anything to say about, like, I, I, if they want someone, that makes me not want them because I know they're bad at this. But I, yeah, I mean, I just went when sort of Hillary was unpopular for whatever reasons and Obama was around, there was someone who was charismatic out there and a compelling candidate, whether you liked what he said or not. I, I can't literally think of anyone that I, that could run for the Democrats who would even be better than Biden right now with who has national oh. sort of nationally known candidate. I mean, is it Newsom? Is it uh, what's his name in Colorado? Jared Polis. Jared Polis. People have not seen him up close. People who think he can win the presidency have not seen that guy up close. And I actually think he's more interesting than most Democrats, right? Um, sort of a libertarian streak, I guess you'd call it. But anyway, I, I just I just don't see any sort of grassroots uh, excitement about anyone other than maybe Bernie, right? I don't even, you know, I am interested in the topic, yeah. but I'm mostly interested in what's going to happen in November. Right. Republicans are almost certainly going to take the house in right. a big way and that will change the dynamic of everything i mean it's very hard for biden to run against republicans when he controls everything in the world like every bad thing he has a tie to 
once Republicans take control of the House, he can start saying, actually, I told you it was Putin's inflation, but it's the Republicans. You know, he can try different lies or things that he can say. That doesn't to, work. Um, I don't think that works. He has a I'll tell you, because yeah. Obama, Obama essentially ran government for six years saying that and no one ever cared. In the end, people think the president runs the country, unfortunately, and he doesn't. And I, I mean, it's not we don't really need to debate this. I, I just don't think it changes the dynamics that much. For me, what is most concerning is that 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 we you know that we as a country lose another Supreme Court justice and that the Senate won't be Republican because of some, you know, some candidates in places, you know, in some states that maybe aren't as strong as they should be. Right. Uh, maybe Herschel Walker. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I've been really like tick, you, you. You're a fan of his. No, I just I I'm suspicious again of all media narratives about everybody. Like I saw Morning Joe this week was putting up a poll saying that J.D. Vance was like 10 points under in Ohio. And that's a lie. That's not true. He'll probably... You know, I mean, it's just it's not true at this moment and it is almost certainly not going to be true in the fall no matter how much these information operation polls try to say otherwise like I, yeah so, but i don't believe J, like jd vance who i don't particularly like because i'm not i don't agree with him on a bunch of stuff is not a bad candidate in the sense that he is uh you know how can i say it he's an intelligent you know articulate candidate who doesn't have you know an ugly some may potentially sort of personal problems i just feel like there are some candidates like that out there and i i, I have to take a deeper dive and look in, into those but i'm just i'm i just you know, for me, the Senate's far more important than the House. And I know that, you know, Republicans are probably going to win the House in a pretty big way. But I mean, that with gridlock, that doesn't mean very much. Right. So but the Senate, I think, is, is, is quite important. So I want to say I was yeah. saying, like, I care about November, but I want to say one more thing about yeah. what's happening with these media narratives. The group think in D.C. is that, you know, everything must be focused on somehow preventing Donald Trump from running or winning the Republican nomination. And I look at it very differently. I don't have a dog in the fight, but I think a divided Republican Party is what the regime and the Democrat Party and the media need to re remain in power. And so everything they're doing is designed toward dividing the Republican Party. And historically, Republican voters in that old alignment would vote for whoever the establishment foisted on them, even if it was Mitt Romney. And I mean, I know people who really didn't want to vote for Mitt Romney, but they ate their spinach and they did it because you had to do it to be with the party. The new party is very different in that you have half the party is not just enthusiastic about Trump, but like over the top enthusiastic, like too enthusiastic about the man. And then like another 30 percent are like, yeah, definitely vote for him. And then you have an additional percentage. They're like, ah, I guess if I have to do it. The people who care about winning the presidency should be much more focused on how this new party is not like the old one and how they should not be divided and they should be focused on not being divided. And I don't know what that means exactly in terms of, you know, Donald Trump might not run. He might run. We don't know. But whatever it is, it has to be going forward a very unified party and there are far, far too many people who are still fighting their petty, like, sore genitalia issues over his triumph in 2016 in the party. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's hard for me to think that way because I have preferred 
people I prefer or not prefer just from my ideological point of view. But I, I also think Democrats, I mean, they're not talking about this as much or at all, frankly, but Democrats have a far more, they have a bigger ideological problem as far as, as policy goes than, than Republicans do. Because for Republicans, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's barely a debate about candidates. But for, for the left, I mean, the, the progressive part, the progressive faction has basically taken over the party. And what's really scary in these polls that we were talking about before is that independents are, are, are like completely rejecting the Democratic Party in huge numbers right now. So I, I don't know that they, you know, that they can get those folks back if they continue down this path. But anyway, um, I was going to ask you, but you don't have to answer this question if you think Trump's going to run. I do. I generally think he will, but I don't worry about it. And it is so liberating to not worry about it. Nothing I say or think matters. That's what I learned in 2016. And it turned out to be a really fun ride anyway. I do, though, you know, feel strongly that the unity is important and that um, a lot of Republicans are being stupid. And no matter what happens, people should have learned the good lessons from Trump and too few people have like actual policy deliveries, actual fighting, actual aggressive messaging, understanding that the media are the enemy. Uh, these are things that like many, many more people should have picked up and they could do it in their own way. And too much of DC is, I mean, I've had people, I've had many, many people tell me they just want to get back to 2015. Weren't things so nice in 2015? And even right now in 2022, DC is happy. DC's thrilled. DC thinks everything's great. Like the whole world is going to hell, but DC is happy. Republicans in DC would be happy if they could get back to 2015, like a pre-Trump era. And so they need to get with the program and get with reality that that is literally never going to happen. Or if it does, it is the death knell for them. Well, I, I like pre-2015 in one way. <laughs> I, like, I like the gridlock and nothing happening. And in essence, nothing really happened past that other than Trump uh, putting people who were great on the Supreme Court and, and a few other things that I quite liked foreign policy-wise. And there are quite things right now that I don't like foreign policy-wise. So um, I think, you know, I don't think that pre-2015 was as big a loss for conservatism as, as many people make out. But I understand what you're saying in general about tactics and and tone do you think trump's gonna run <laughs> i kind of do because i feel like for his ego he needs to prove that he can beat the guy that's he doesn't believe beat him last time right so um uh and i think he, actually i almost made a prediction oh my god i'm not gonna do, do that <laughs> no i won't um but i i think that biden's in a tough spot i mean last time he didn't really run he didn't have to run oh that's you another know. thing that's so stupid about this new york times sienna poll they're like, oh, if, uh, nobody in the world likes Biden, but if he ran, he would beat Trump. That's just, it's just a joke. And, and DC is clinging to this, like some kind of amazing thing. If there was another race, Biden couldn't hide in the basement like he did. Yeah. He just couldn't. And the reality, like you can't run against your predecessor in quite the way <laughs> when they're an incumbent as when they're out of right. office and you're dealing with all the horror. And running is tough physically mentally all that and and people forget that you like trump or you don't like trump he is a really good campaigner and he, he gets out there he gets big crowds he you know he's on he, he's they will not be able to ignore him and what they think is horrifying to everyone is not really horrifying and they're constantly have putting him on tv i, I think that uh it, it would be 
it would be a tough race for Biden, but who knows what happened. I, I'm, so I'm done predicting. I do want to say one thing on the, he wants to run because he has to, you know, defeat the guy he thinks he defeated previously. I actually think, because I was spending some time with him right after the election, I really got the feeling that he did not want to run again. Wow. Like he, And he also very much enjoys being out of office. You can tell he's like physically healthier, you know, brighter looking, happier. Uh, and that as he saw the country going poorly and as he saw Republicans failing to learn the lessons that he thought that they were learning, that he kind of felt that he had to, which is just to me, like everything is so ridiculous in this town. Republicans in DC hate him and don't want him to run. And yet they set in action the precise means by which he would feel forced to run rather than admit that he was right on some of these policy issues or, or approaches or styles. And it's just, I guess, what the world is like. I mean, I think Elon Musk was right when he said that uh, Democrats are basically taunting him to go run with this Gen 6 committee and stuff like, you know, he sees this every day and he's going to sort of want to go out there and, and push back against all. They're like, all We're them. going to put you and all of your people in prison. Please go away. He's like, I, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, he like, and people are like, why won't he move on from the election while they're actually holding hearings, criminalizing any questions about the election? And I want to say one more thing about that, which is we have had, it takes a long time for some of these issues to come through, but a lot of the complaints that people had, these January 6th protesters, not the rioters, but the protesters had, were related to unconstitutional changes to state election laws, the use of ballot drop boxes, unsupervised voting, and the inherent um, lack of security that is associated with that. And you have seen major like uh, validation of those issues in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Georgia, and in Arizona. And that is vindicating for the people who said they didn't think this election was conducted properly. And you keep hearing people say, there's no evidence there were any problems, even as at this late date, you now have like tons of evidence of illegal voting, uh, unconstitutional voting, and just massive amounts of problems. Well, I, I mean, I think that I, I had a lot of problems with what went on in places like Pennsylvania before the election, but there is, I think that there is a duty at some point for a president to say, We've exhausted all legal, real legal options, and I need to move on and fight another day. Um, yeah, but I you just, can't do I, that while you're being prosecuted for having for doing what every single candidate in a tight race has ever done, which is contest close election results. You can't move on when you're being prosecuted for that. You're saying right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard. It's they don't want to move on. That's a joke. I mean, the, the, the when I watch the coverage, they, there is like every political major political reporter at every major institution of, of, of alleged journalism spends all their time on this issue when there's someone else who's president. Right. So I don't think they want to move on. I think they lo love I think they love love having him around. But I'm just saying that I think Trump went too far. Um with his rhetoric. He also didn't prepare enough. He didn't prepare enough. Department of Justice didn't prepare enough. RNC didn't prepare enough for what was almost certainly going to be what happened there, which was chaos and confusion. And yeah, I mean, I, I just I just believe after that he surrounded himself with people who did not give him good advice, which has been. Oh, you think? 
yeah, which has been the case for him, frankly, throughout his, you know, his, his four years as what was the case throughout his four years as president. He believed a lot of ridiculous things and he tried to do a lot of ridiculous things. Now, I don't believe that he ever came close to overturning the government of the United States. I don't think it was a coup. I don't think any of that, but I, and that's the problem. They always over, over, they always exaggerate what he does, which makes you defensive, which doesn't allow any real discussion about what happened. Also, the terminology of overturning the election is infuriating. So, you know, you say you successfully challenged the use of ballot boxes, which there will be a remedy of, you know, holding another election or something like that. It's not, it's not uncommon for people to make challenges on particular ballots or particular ballot administration things. We have never called that overturning an election. And taking constitutionally protected, legally protected actions to fight these things, even if you fail, is not overturning an election or trying to overturn an election. I mean, it's just, it's just like not the right rhetoric to use. You're challenging. You are fighting for every vote, legal vote to be counted, every illegal vote to not be counted, whatever. Democrats do it, Republicans do it, and they should be able to do it in a system where you have this type of thing. No, and then yeah. also this use of the term election denier or something like that is infuriating to me. Like you can have legitimate questions as demonstrated by this Wisconsin Supreme Court ruling about whether ballot boxes are constitutional or not. And that doesn't make you a denier. It just means you have thought through election integrity. And you had actual election deniers for four years from 2016 to 2020 who believed a delusional conspiracy theory that Russia had conspired with Trump to steal the election. Nobody called them election deniers because they were the media and other Democrats who were perpetrating this. Yeah, I mean, they, they constantly throw in people who have legitimate concerns about the election with kooks, right, to make put them together in, as, in a group. I think, first of all, people should be able to deny elections if they want. That's their business. It's a matter of free speech, not a matter of sort of, you know, illegality. And last thing drives me nuts about this is when now it's like not, oh, you were a rioter who broke into the Capitol. It's you were at the January 6th riots. Like I was at, what if I lived in DC and wandered out and wanted to check it out? What if I thought something was wrong with the election and wanted to protest peacefully? Now you're all just thrown into this coup, the supposed coup. And it drives me nuts. And it just shows that, that what they're doing is, 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 is driven by partisan, you know, partisanship, way, et cetera, not just. That wouldn't even be fair for the people who were at the Capitol, but nowhere near the riot at the Capitol. It's definitely not fair for the hundreds of thousands of people that were over at the White House and never made it the two miles to the Capitol. Right. Anyway, I'm sick of those hearings, okay. frankly. So, um, Sorry, and I know that we're sick of it, but we have to talk about it. And this is what we do. But I, I just, I don't think it's, look at the polling. I mean, Roe being overturned, hardly moved the needle. January 6th, doesn't move the needle. I just don't, I think people have tuned out um, because they just don't care about these things, you know, in general. Anyway, let's talk about culture. This is my favorite part of the podcast, usually. What, have you been watching anything? I know you've been traveling a lot and all that. I was on the road. I was on the road with my family. So there's been no TV, no movies. And the music that we were listening to was very keyed to where we were. Like, we would put on playlists for the Pacific Coast Highway, or we listened to a lot of Bakersfield sound music as we went through Bakersfield. Oh, that's nice. Uh, we did not, I mean, in big news, we did not purchase any albums. That was like- You didn't just success. run across a, a garage sale where they had like, or, or, you know, Ornette Coleman records in 1960. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what are you watching? Oh, wait, you, you watched, you're, you, in a very timely fashion, 
watched the latest James Bond movie last week. I um I have a lot to say about that. I'm not gonna. I, there's a column if anyone cares to get really into it. Um, I wrote a column for the Federalist last week called uh, "No Time to Die Is Garbage." I initially wanted to call it "No Time to Die Is Complete Garbage," but I dialed it back just slightly. Um, but I hated just that movie. Moderate. Yeah, I'm a moderate. I'm a Mitt Romney uh, Republican. No, um, I hated it a lot, and it ruined. It might have ruined James Bond for me completely. I think it was the worst movie. Um, in the whole James Bond series. And, uh, and I suggest people don't watch it. I mean, it's just horrible. And it, can I, th- there'll be spoilers coming up right now. The movie came out a year ago, right? <laughs> I've been busy. If you spoil it. I've been busy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is a year like so I can talk about the sixth sense and stuff. Um, <laughs> but it was funny when I when I was when my kids were younger, they would always like give away them. They didn't understand that you weren't supposed to give away the, the ending to the movies we we're going to watch. That they saw. So I would always tell them like, he's been dead the whole time or you know, <laughs> like I give away like the, you know, it's a man, you know, stuff like that to say undermine their experience in the future. Um, it's horrible. Yeah. Also. So another thing that no, very few people will care about is that there's a new documentary out called freak scene about dinosaur junior, uh, which is excellent. Yeah, really um, enjoyed that. And I wanted to mention a comedian who I may have mentioned before, and he has nothing new out, but I find him so funny okay. that uh, that I rewatched everything they had on Netflix by him. And his Nate, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but it's Nate Bar- Barsgate, I think. Oh, wait. He's from Kentucky. I'm going to look up his picture to see if I know. He is incredibly humorous. He's a clean comedian. He... Um, he, uh, he he has a two specials on Netflix, um, and he's he's fantastic. So I mm, recommend that. Never seen him before in my life. You'll like it. And that my last recommendation is a Japanese movie that was fantastic. If you have teenagers, I recommend it really highly. Maybe like over eleven would be good because there's two little scenes where it's just. Still innocent, but maybe just slightly inappropriate. And it's called Your Name. And it's about a girl and a boy who are teens. And I forget how old they are. Who, who, so it starts out as a mystery. They keep changing bodies, sort of, but they're not in the same place and not in the same time. And uh, it's kind of like this, just, I guess, kind of like a teen romance movie, but it's not, you know, I just, which is weird for me to say I like, but is it was it just better than Freaky Friday much much better much better it's really a, a good my you know it's really a fantastic movie that one of my kids uh brought into our home and uh, i did not want to watch it but i i was happy i did really well done um so that's it for me great yeah. well so i do, i'm trying I do to want of, say yeah. i want to say we get the best email for this podcast i feel like i don't know how you feel about it but someone sent me a note suggesting that i watch letter kenny and oh, yeah. I have watched every letter, Kenny. Oh, is it good? Oh my gosh. If you like wordplay, and it's very profane, so you cannot watch it with people. Yeah, it's the it's like there's the hockey stuff going on, right? It's, what was like, that? it's Canadian, right? The hockey stuff. It's so, Canadian. Yeah. It takes place in a small, made up Canadian town. And it is really well written. It is hilarious. And I'm constantly wanting to use references to it on Twitter, but I don't know how many people actually know it and it always begins with a really ridiculous wordplay um you know a couple of minutes of wordplay right at the beginning but 
Oh, I, I definitely want to watch that. That's actually on my list. That's on my master list. Okay. I think there's an odd, there's a referee in the show and he has his own show now, like an offshoot of that show, like oh, a really? referee who's very funny or something. <gasps> I love the coach. If it's yeah, the he coach. has his own show now. The coach is always like violently mad. And <laughs> I feel, I just want to always put gifs of him kicking trash cans. Um, GIFs? Isn't it gifs? Gifs, whatever. I don't know. I'm just saying. All right. Well, I think that's it. Uh, be lover. Oh, I, I, I can never segue into the be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray, but I'm going to think of something better next week. Um, I'll talk to you soon, Mom. Okay, bye.